Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey. I am joined by James Wong. James? Hi, Abby. What kind of smoothie you got there? Uh, it's a whole bunch of stuff, actually. It's a uh, apple and banana and uh, dates, and I put some spinach and carrots in there and yogurt and mm. berries. It's kind of whatever I have in the house. Wow, that sounds pretty good, actually. Ronan, hello. Hello. No smoothies here. Nothing interesting, really. Nothing. How's the leg doing, though? The leg is still here. That's the good news. But but longer in the cage than I was expecting. But oh well. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, do you still have the the crazy the bear trap cage around it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunate. For I thought I was getting it off in three weeks, but I'm actually getting it off in eight weeks time. Yay! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Forever. Uh, finally back. After a long hiatus, we have Dane Cash. Dane. Hello. Hello. Hi. James, you had me until spinach. I, I like spinach, but I, I don't know. That combination, I'm not sure. Don't, don't knock it until you try it, Dane. I, you're right. I haven't tried it. I have, to, I have to have some of that sometime. Spinach in smoothies is the only way that spinach should be consumed anyway. James, that wall behind you is getting closer. <laughs> Well, I'm, 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 trying to, I'm trying to move my setup here so that I can actually be like sit back against something as opposed to just like sitting in the middle of the floor. While you wait for an hour while we talk about Perinese, Torino, Adriatico, Ronda Van Drenta, yes, Egon yes, Bernal, yes. all kinds of news. We've got a ton of news to get to today, but before we jump into the news, this episode is brought to you by the Wahoo System. Ride faster, go further, and take your performance to the next level with the Wahoo System trainer app, where sports science meets Stoke. Behind every ride is a workout designed by world-class coaches. System puts you at the heart of the biggest races in the world with workouts from the Pro Ride Series. And when you need time to recover, watch one of the cyclist-focused documentaries in the Inspiration Series. System also allows you to train alongside Wahoo athletes in the app's A Week With series. Plus, you can go on location to ride the world's most iconic routes. If you have a goal, Wahoo System has a plan crafted by Sports Science to get you there. So head over to the App Store or Play Store to download the Wahoo System, that's S-Y-S-T-M app, and begin your 14-day free trial. To find the app, simply type Wahoo, W-A-H-O-O, space system, S-Y-S-T-M, and there you go. Yeah, the Wahoo System. Thank you so much to Wahoo for sponsoring this episode. All right. Well, we've got a ton of bike racing to talk about today. There were two of the biggest early season stage races that happened over the last week where we left off with uh, Perry Nice was a Yumbo Visma podium sweep. We got Torino, we got Ronda Van Drenta on the women's side. So I think we should just dive right in and talk about Perry Nice. Dane, who won Perry Nice? Uh, who did win? Per- uh, Primoz Roglic won Perinese. Uh, he won Perinese in an in an impressive effort from the team. I mean, first of all, an impressive effort from himself. He had a great race. Wout van Aert played a big role in helping uh, Primoz Roglic keep that jersey on the final day. Simon Yates, who was sitting second overall, uh, heading into that final stage, did what he could. Went on a big attack uh, on the eighth and final stage. Uh, but Wout van Aert helped Primoz Roglic uh, at least keep the gap small. Yates won the stage, but I never finished second. Roglic in third, nine, and they were both nine seconds back on Simon Yates and thus kept the jersey. Uh, Roglic wins the race. Yates finished second overall. Uh, that final stage, 
Brandon McNulty finished fourth. Good on the American, by the way, at 144 down. So that's how far back the rest of the field was. Uh, it was clearly a, a you know strong attack from Yates, but Roglic and Van Aert did a great job to minimize the losses. Uh, and, and for Roglic, I think it was important to get this win based on how well Tade Pogacar has done in the early season. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, I think Roglic has to be happy with the way things ended up. He's got the win on the board and uh, didn't... He avoided a repeat of last year, for those who may not remember. Of course, uh, Roglic had a, a stellar Pyrenees last year, right up until the final stage, where he tumbled down the GC standings after some rough rough times out on the bike and uh, didn't win, even though he won multiple stages and had a clear lead heading into that final day. Uh, so, avoided that this year, takes the win. Good on Primoz Roglic. And it wasn't like... It was super easy to avoid an accidental spill given the conditions on the last day were really gnarly. And Wout was saying after the stage ended that they they knew they were losing time to Yates on the descent after Yates attacked on the final climb, the base of the final climb that day. And Roglic didn't have great legs. He said after the stage that he he didn't feel great. And um, you could tell watching him try to hold on to Wout Van Aert's wheel going up the climb that he was probably not on his best day. But but yeah, Wout said on the descent that he kept it super careful because of the conditions. And I mean, everyone who was watching it, I feel like I held my I held my breath <laughs> when they were descending. There's like one point where they kind of went in between some of those white things that are separate, like separate the sides of the roads. That was really sketchy, but once they got onto that flat section and they had, you know, two of the best time trialists in the world chasing down Simon Yates, Yates only finished with a nine second lead, like you said. And it was a, it was a great final stage. Yeah. This race is, has offered a lot of entertaining finales in recent memory, just over and over again. It, it continuously provides action on that last day and uh, good, good on the organizers for kind of coming up with a route that, leads to this kind of thing. Uh, and of course, on the riders for making it happen. Um, but Yates, I think also, I feel like has to be pretty happy with the fact that he ended up taking the stage and a, and a nice second place there and, you know, setting himself up for a strong season. Uh, even if he didn't end up getting the win, he, he looked good in this race, had a great time trial. Yeah. On the stage that Roglic won, the um, stage seven, right before, there, there was moments where Simon Yates didn't look amazing but he was one of the first of those climbers to kind of get distance and have to work his way back into that group the battle between the yates now on different teams was a pretty interesting watch but uh all in all it was it was a great race for yates ahead of the giro yeah i think it actually could have worked out slightly different for yates you know i think the as good as yumbo were uh yesterday roglic has a lot to thank uh a puncture for Danny Martinez and Quintana for because had Martinez been there, let's assume he could follow Yates' attack given how strong he was on the claim just before that. And for some reason, Quintana seemed very happy to pull quite a lot. Uh, and, you know, obviously on a climb it doesn't make that big a difference, but it certainly helped Roglic while Van Aert made his way back to that chasing group. And, you know, Quintana then later got distance and finished well over a minute behind the the Van Aert and Roglic group. So you got to question why he was riding so much there. And, you know, undoubtedly it did limit the losses to to Yates when he made his 
initial attack. So um, I think you know Yates was was clearly on fire yesterday. He 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 wasn't able to follow uh, Martinez when he first made his move, but he you know he rode his way back up to that group, and from that point onwards, he you know he looked the strongest in the group when he when he had to ride. Speaking of some of those other. You know, GC hopefuls, I think we should talk about a little bit the rest of the kind of the top 10. Martinez being the, the obvious guy to talk about just because, well, he, he and his teammate, Adam Yates, I mean, you know, any of us missing out on not winning a race, they're probably not super thrilled because they want to win every stage race. They did a heck of a good job last year in the week-long stage races. But the fact that any of us can field two riders finishing in the top four at Paranese and like neither one is one of their top, you know, Tour de France contenders. I mean, this is they're they're going to have a strong team throughout the year, I think. And then now we're Quintana finishing a little bit, you know, a little bit less grandly than maybe I think some of his fans would have hoped after he got off to a really good start, but still strong, finishing fifth. Uh, and then I think we talked about Brandon McNulty winning a stage, which was his first ever World Tour win, uh, and he looked great later in the race. He had a crash early on that kind of put him out of GC contention, but he was inside the top. Well, sixth, and he was fourth in the last two stages, respectively. So I think he's got to be really pleased with the way that things turned out after that initial crash. Uh, for the fact he was able to kind of salvage the race with a stage win and looks good, this good at this point, uh, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about his his season. He's he's had a really good start to the year. Yeah, for for a rider of his sort of nature, you know, doesn't possess uh, an almighty sprint, let's say, but you know, is a strong strong climber to have. As much success as he's had already this season is a is a real good sign, in my opinion. You know, he's what's his third win now? He won in Mallorca, he won somewhere else, and now he's won in Paris, uh, and to finish top ten overall. And it's you know it's a it's a major step up for McNulty. He suffered a lot in the crosswinds as well on that early stage, um, that really was impacted by crosswinds. He was probably one of the biggest hopefuls, I guess I would say, given his time trialing prowess to get caught out in those crosswinds him and his teammate Almeida who won the young riders jersey and finished eighth in the general classification at the end of the day I feel like we should also mention 13th on the general classification Hugo Huel which is the Canadian in so many ways amazing because he's the yeah like not only it's amazing that he finished that far up uh he's also the only rider to finish for Israel Premier Tech yeah there was they had some they had some losses over the course of the week. Just uh I mean the first of all, the the race in general was dramatically lessened in the, the field uh over the course of the week. Uh but particularly that team. And the fact that he was able to finish at all is great. But the fact that he, he's like a classics rider. Uh also a, a really friendly guy, by the way. Uh Ugo Ul. He's Canadian. What do you expect? True, yeah. Uh so I'm the fact that he was able to finish at all, and the fact that he was able to finish that highly, I, I was kind of stunned. Good on good on Ugo for for pulling that off. We would be remiss if we didn't mention Guillaume Martin, who finished ninth as well. Shadi might not be here physically, but he's always here in spirit. So, one last Ugo Ul nugget: uh, if you ever go to the Canadian uh, GPs, the GP Quebec and Montreal, at least a couple of years ago, the last time I was there, the the sort of marketing around the race makes. Ugo Ul and, and uh, at the time, Antoine Duchesne, superstars, which is great because, you know, they don't get a lot of press. They're not riders who are winning a lot of things, you know, in the kind of world tour scene. But if you go to the GP Quebec, GP Montreal, they're center stage. And, and why wouldn't they be there? They're Quebecois riders and, and it makes sense. Uh, and it's just kind of awesome to, to be there where they're at, at those races. 
their stars. And that's that's really cool. Uh for the two days out Those of the Those races year. are back on this year. Finally, for yeah. For the first time in two three years, yeah. two years. I really enjoy those races. Yeah. yeah. It seems like there's going to be a really good North American block around there with the race in Maryland as well. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Pro cycling hasn't been in the U.S. for quite some time. We move on to Torino Adriatico. We got any more Perinese nuggets? We could talk about the time trial, but I feel like we got into how stage one ended with uh, three Yumbo Visma riders on the podium. And Ronan and I were talking about this just um, texting about whether it was more believable, the fact that all three of them, the the three of them podiumed in the time trial, which I feel like it's, of course, of course it is. They've got like a multi-time world champion, uh, the Olympic champion and Wout Van Aert, who can seemingly do everything. But at the end of the race, the team that really kind of demolished everything was Yumbo Visma. I want to see that up again. This is one of the few... T- I actually don't mind. I feel like a lot of people complain about the fact that Pyrenees and Torino are going on at the same time. I kind of don't mind it because it's more racing to watch, which I have a hard time complaining about that. Uh, but this is one of the few times where I feel like it would have been nice to have one World Tour race at, the, at this moment when Pogacar and Roglic could have gone head-to-head because we could have seen Jumbo Visma versus Pogacar. But they decided to go to separate races, which is, you know, an opportunity for them both to get early season wins. Uh, and I, I just kind of wonder, would Jumbo Visma has been able to do anything about uh, Pogacar had they been in the same race right now? Because as we're, I think, about to talk about, Tete Pogacar was his dominant self at Torino Adriatico. I feel like it's nice that they went to separate races because the buildup of like who's going to beat who at the tour is just the, there's more anticipation because you just don't know because you haven't seen them race against each other. We just don't know, except Tete Pogacar was so good at Torino Adriatico that I feel like we kind of know. Right now, who? Uh, How good was he, Dane? He, Tell me about Torino. He was one minute and fifty-two seconds better uh, than the nearest competitor, Jonas Vingago, who had a nice race. But there was just there was nobody who was going to be close to stopping Tadej Pogacar at this race. Uh, Pogacar has now. Let's see, he's raced, counting him up here. His race days on the year seven, eight. He's raced fifteen days this season. Because uh, he raced the UAE Tory race, Strada Bianca, and he raced Torino Adriatico. Uh, and in that short span, he has already accrued seven victories, which is just uh, just impressive, obviously. And and he just doesn't have an off switch. It's just like every race, he's going to be in contention. And in a lot of those races, he's going to be like way ahead of the pack. And that was true in Torino where he won two stages. There was, there was really no, no challenge, I think, uh, to, to Pogacar's dominance at that race. Yeah. Two stages, three jerseys, including the leader's Jersey. And he really, despite the fact that he won stage four, his super dominant performance was on the stage six mountain stage where he attacked um, they did two laps of a of the same mountain, and he attacked at the base of the final, the the second lap of that climb, and just kind of rode away. And he said that he, while he was riding, he was always afraid that someone's going to come up behind him, so he just kind of never let off the gas. And uh, it ended with him having over a minute lead. Jonas Vingegaard had an interesting quote after stage six. He said, uh, "Quote: I didn't even think of going with him." He is incredible today and so much better than everyone else. 
So there you go. Even Jonas Vingegaard, who's finished second in the race, just didn't even entertain the possibility of trying to chase Tadej Pogacar down. Because why would you entertain that possibility? You know it's not going to happen. So good on Tadej Pogacar, I guess, for being so strong right now. But it made Torino not that... Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of tension because he was that much better. At least he kept it until the penultimate stage to really leave everybody behind. So at least there was some some question mark about that. I like this Jonas Vingegaard guy, though. Like, his quote after, I can't remember which stage it was, when he, he didn't know who Ghana was and he didn't know what the blue jersey was. Yeah, I feel like he's he's a bit of a... He's a refreshing voice. And I'm, I've been happy to see him kind yeah. of emerging. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, I feel like we should talk, even if even if Pogacar dominated the race, I do feel like there were some other people that are worth you know, kind of mentioning for their performances in, in Torino Adriatico. Warren Bargill won his first stage and uh, took his first World Tour win in, in what, three years almost? Uh, so good on Warren for that. His first victory period since, I guess he won in, in August of last year, so that's good. His first World Tour win in nearly five years. Uh which is something else. I mean, we, we thought Warren Barker was going to be a big deal when he kind of burst onto the scene. He won a KLM jersey at, at the tour in 2017, and things just haven't gone that way for him uh, since then. But he won stage five, and, you know, Arkea having that to start the year, I think is, is pretty big for them and for him, obviously. Uh, so good on Warren for pulling off a big win there. Uh, Richie Port had a really nice race as well. Uh, finished fourth overall. Mikel Landa finished third. Um, Jai Henley, an- another Australian who, after he finished second at the Giro, had kind of a quiet 2021. Uh, he's, I think, has to be happy with a fifth overall at Torino, even if it's a smaller race than the Giro. Uh, it's a good sign for him. Uh, so a number of riders putting on performances that I feel like yeah, this will be a good start to the year, or they're going to gain some confidence from this. So that's good. I kind of wonder how Tadej Pogacar feels. Like, what, does he gain confidence anymore? Is that a thing for him, or is he just always confident that he's going to win everything? He's still pretty humble for he is. how You're incredible right. he is. I mean, they they asked him at the end of the um, I can't remember if it was the final stage or if it was the the mountain stage that he won if he was unbeatable, and he was like, "Yes," <laughs> and he's not. I mean, going into Milan San Remo, the the question of whether or not he can he can win that one as well and add to his monument list um, is it's definitely not out of the question. But he's his quotes about it have been really interesting because he's not like he, yeah he, he's still he's still just a kid who is enjoying racing his bike. Yeah, I'm hoping he keeps that. Mm, uh, like on that, how long before if he is this dominant? How, how long can he? keep enjoying it for and how long can we keep enjoying watching him being so dominant <laughs> I think, and like at, at the moment that seems well accepted but i think that's a good question i mean it, it doesn't take long i think for people to kind of get tired of seeing the same person win over and over again and so who i feel like a lot of people are already in that are in that boat and, and i wonder how how long that'll take for the majority of people uh which is why i'm hopeful that primus roglic you know is able to mount a challenge this year and and uh, and a number of other riders, I think, could be in that department. But I, I just feel like there's not a whole lot of people out there who seem capable of that at the moment. Um, some exciting young riders, but and we should talk about one of them, though, Remco Evenepoel, who was involved, first of all, in, a, in one of the more interesting stories of uh, Torino, in that he was leading the way 
in a group of chasers that missed a right-hand turn and went off course for a little while. Uh, and that helped Warren Bargill, I think, a fair bit, because I'm not entirely sure he would have made it in that stage had it not been for the five to ten seconds lost, 15 seconds, I don't know how much time they really lost in the end, it's hard to say, uh, when they took a, well, they didn't take a wrong turn, they just missed a turn. Uh, but yeah, Remco Evenepoel, after that, had a rough go of it uh, at Torino Adriatico, dropped from second overall to finishing 11th overall because he finished 13th on the on the penultimate stage. And I, I don't know, I kind of feel for Evenepoel because I feel like he just gets wall-to-wall coverage in Belgian, Belgian media, everything that he does. And when things don't go well, it's wall-to-wall coverage of that. Uh, he... He does speak his mind, and I don't think that really helps him sometimes. Uh, but he's 22 years old, and he's already get. I mean, he's been getting wall-to-wall coverage since he was like 19. I don't know. I, I just, I hope things go better for him in the next couple of races. Maybe he was just going too fast. <laughs> Man, I understood it. Okay. Yeah. You just didn't want to I laugh? wasn't sure how to respond. I guess, yeah, he did get it. That's he fine. Got, he had his license suspended, so... Yeah. No, that was I mean, that wasn't that was one of those dumb things where it's like, yes, he's he gets so much coverage that that yes. And <laughs> is that is that like notable coverage that should have been written up? I don't probably not. Um, but but yeah, it's it really is a bummer to watch someone so young with so much talent just get <laughs> be completely unable to hide from the media because um I think he's one of those riders that is negatively impacted by it. And from being like from the U S we would know a lot about that, given that there's a lot of GC riders that we've hoped would be the next insert name here that never could live up to it because of the pressure. And, um, it's never nice to see a rider go that way. So I feel like, we have to also talk a little bit about Caleb Ewan and his win on stage three, because he's one of those riders that we're going to be looking at, um, a lot ahead of Milan San Remo on Saturday and whether or not he can take that elusive Milan San Remo win that he's been chasing like his whole career, but he won stage three. It was a sprint finish with a little bit of cobbles and, uh, he, he did, he said after the stage that it gave him a lot of uh, confidence ahead of Monson Remo. And then he dropped out the next day. I'm assuming to focus on the, the big, the big target to come. So that was a, that was another big win that happened. Yeah. I feel like Caleb Ewan over the past several years has made San Remo one of his big goals of the season. And that makes sense because for so long, Milan San Remo was, was the monument that you had a chance at if you were a sprinter. Uh, it's the one. There's not a lot, and uh, or there's not even a lot of top tier classics. Period. That that are that are you have a chance at as a sprinter. It, it's basically again Wevelgem and uh, and San Remo are your are your best chances for a you know big classics win. And basically, from the time Ewan decided, from the time Ewan kind of burst onto the scene until now, all of a sudden Milan San Remo is not a race for the sprinters every year. And over and over again, the sprinters are foiled. So like just when Ewan reaches this point where he's able to win the sprint at Milan San Remo, he finds himself sprinting for second because these late attacks just kind of keep 
keep working at San Remo, a race where that didn't happen that often uh, right up until a few years ago. Uh, and then just over and over and over again, San Remo has, has favored somebody kind of having the uh, ro- rolling the dice. Uh, you know, you had Christoph, Degenkolb, DeMar, and then since then, it's been Kwiatkowski, Nibali, Alaphilippe, Vlad van Aert taking the, that one win. Uh, but then last year, Jasper Stuyven putting in a really impressive kind of two-kilometer-out attack that I don't think anybody was able to... Uh, I, I, I think they didn't, they didn't really expect, I think, Jasper Stuyven to do that, and not a lot of teams were capable of pulling that back because there weren't a lot of teammates around at the time when he did it uh, who could have kind of contributed to a chase. So... I feel like Ewan has a great chance of winning San Remo if it ends in a sprint. And that's the big question mark. And that's kind of out of his hands. He, he can only do so much in that department. Yeah. Tade Pogacar is going to do everything he can to make sure that it doesn't come down to a sprint. Yeah. And there are, there are other riders who I think will be happy to have a guy like Pogacar around to kind of add to the to the suspense. You know, a Julian Alaphilippe, who I think likes going on the attack in that race rather than relying on a, a, the chance of a sprint. Uh, I think he'll... He'll gladly go with Tadej Pogacar if if given the opportunity. Yeah, I think two of the one of the other talking points just to wrap up Torino and uh, Torino Adriatico and Perry Nice was just how many riders didn't finish. We had only fifty nine finishers at Perry Nice. Nineteen teams finished with four or less riders, which is just wild. And at Torino, Ineos and Ladusidal both only finished with three riders. So it was just a ton of DNFs and DNSs. Uh, there was a tidal wave of illness that went through both Pelotons, uh, non-COVID illnesses, and they it really affected both of the races. Anyway, should we move on really quick and just a, just a very brief mention of the Women's World Tour one day that happened on Saturday, Ronda Vendrenta. It's one of the longest running which is really not saying that much uh, when you compare it to the men's the calendar, but one of one of the iconic northern Dutch races on the women's side that has brutal cobbles, a climb that is made out of a trash dump, and always ends in a very interesting way. And it was won by Lorena Weebs, one of the, I mean, the only probably quote-unquote pure sprinter in the women's peloton for Team DSM, but really her entire team had an incredible day that day riding for her. They were in every single move. Uh, Pfeiffer Georgie was a phenomenal teammate, pulling things back and in the lead-out and everything, and Trek Segafredo did everything that they could to put Elisa Balsamo uh, on that top step, but at the end, no one could out-sprint Lorena. I think you did a nice job phrasing it. Uh, in your headline this weekend when you said no one can beat Lorena Weavis in a sprint right now. And I think that dominance for a single uh, sprinter has, we haven't seen that in a, in a little while in the women's peloton. Uh, uh, you know, kind of one rider being that clearly the, the best sprinter. And Weavis has really kind of taken hold of that mantle and and good on her for doing it. And she's still young. So that could be, we could be seeing this for a while yet. Uh, so cool that we have that uh, sprint dominance from someone who's only 22 years old, uh, at least as of recording this podcast. I guess when you're listening to this, she might be 23 because she. Uh, I'm just checking her birthday's on March 17th. So depending on when you're listening to it, she's 22 or, 22 or 23 years old. Oh, happy birthday to her. This is her birthday week. Yay. No, yeah, she's, she's definitely, um, when a race finishes in a sprint and 
she's there, she's the favorite to win, which is not a common thing. Um, I think, and there are riders who can definitely challenge her, but as we've seen, I mean, she won two races in four days this week and, um, no one could even come close. So it, it will be interesting to see how she continues to fare in the sprints, especially given that there's, um, we talked about it in freewheeling this week, but there's definitely a shift towards specialization in the women's Peloton that we've never seen before. So there might be some sprinters that are going to be coming for her in the future, which will be super exciting. Cause at the moment, while it's awesome that she's so good and inspirational, we also want to see the battles. And, um, I think for Elisa Balsamo, she's really an incredible sprinter and, I think she just timed it wrong on Saturday. Um, so to see them go against each other again in the future will be really cool. All right. We talked a little bit about contenders for the Tour de France, um, but I, and he will not be a contender for the Tour de France. However, we really wish that he could be, but Egon Bernal is back on, back on his road bike, back in his kit training on the trainer. So that's pretty cool. Pretty remarkable. The, the, the speed at which he has kind of made the early steps in his recovery. Um, I, I think it's pretty important to keep in mind that longer term predictions about his return, I think at this point are just who knows. Um, and you don't want to be too optimistic. You don't want to get your hopes up too much, but uh, it's just been encouraging to see how quickly he's been able to do some of these things and really good. I think it's it, obviously it's great to see him getting better for obvious reasons he you don't want to see a person injured uh, but I think it's good for cycling if he can you know against the odds kind of get back and, and kind of get into the mix again eventually uh, there was a, a a quote this weekend or uh, the other day from La Gazzetta Ineos coach Javier Arteche said that basically he kind of left the door open for a, a possible like he, he wouldn't rule out a, a, a 2022 return to racing for Bernal which to me I mean if if a month ago, that didn't that didn't seem like that was going to be a possibility, uh, and I don't know that that is a possibility. Who who knows? But that's what he said, uh, and that would be pretty pretty remarkable if that were to happen. Uh, uh, yeah, so I'm hopeful. Uh, like I said, I don't want to get the hopes up too much, but that'd be great if we could see him back uh, in the near ish future. I mean, it's a faster recovery than I think anyone expected from the. Um the initial assessment of the injuries that he had. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what, two months ago or six weeks ago, we were saying that he might not ever ride a bike again. So I feel like we're all, uh, pretty big Bernal fans on the podcast. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Speaking of injured riders returning to racing, we are going to see, hopefully, Matthew Vanderpool returned to racing very soon after taking most of the early season races off, which means we might see him in the big later season classics, right, Dane? Yeah, so all the reports indicate that he's going to return to racing uh, probably at Capia Bartali, which is in uh, eight days from the time we're recording, uh, with a with an eye towards racing Dwarstor Landeren and the Tour of Flanders. Uh, that is his hope, I think. Um, he has, of course, been out for a while. He he raced, what did he race, two races? A couple of races 
uh, of his planned cyclocross calendar and then, you know, kind of called his cyclocross campaign short because he's he was dealing with some back issues and he had been for quite some time. Uh, and then he got a knee surgery while he was taking time away from racing. Uh, and so he has not raced yet this year. But uh, yeah, the, there have been indications from not just uh, reports, but also the Tour of Flanders uh, organizers tweeted out that they were basically that they were expecting him at the race, something something along those lines, uh, you know, expressing their excitement that he was going to be there, uh, which I don't think they would have done if they didn't have some intel from from his camp on that front. So, yeah, uh, he's hoping, I think, to return at, at Cape Bartali. And I, who knows what kind of form he'll be in for Dwarfs and uh, the Tour of Flanders. But he's been training in Spain and he's been training a lot. Um, so I, th- I think it's I think it is possible that he will be. In, in decent form, I, I don't you know, I don't want to. Who knows? But I, I don't I don't want to rule that out either. I think there's a chance that he could be at the classics and actually be a contender despite this lengthy period away from racing. I feel like he wouldn't come back to racing unless he felt he could be a contender. Um, it seems like he's not. He doesn't have a problem with staying away from the races if he doesn't feel like he can contend for the win. And um, I think part of that is probably because he's so excited about racing his bike that if he's in the race, he's going to give it his all. There's no there's no half-assing it for him. So he'd have to be back on back, you know, in working condition to be able to enter a bike race because otherwise he would he'd probably get hurt again, which would be pretty bad. So, yeah, I'm hoping that uh, I'm really looking forward to the classics already for obvious reasons, because they're awesome. Uh, But I think him being there really elevates the kind of entertainment factor. And it's just I think it's great that he's on the mend and that 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 he's at least hoping or expecting to be be there, because I think it it just it does so much for those races. Any word yet on whether he will make Paris Roubaix because, of course, it's an extra week between Flanders and Roubaix this year. So, if anything, that plays in his favor, giving him just that extra week to to get ready. Yeah, I think he's expecting to start all three of Dwar's Flanders and and Roubaix. Um, but again, these are all just kind of reports. It's just I haven't I haven't spoken to to Matthew Vanderpool. He hasn't told me these things. <laughs> you know, this is what I've read, just like everybody else is reading. Uh, and again, it's what things like the Tour of Flanders organizers have tweeted out uh, because that's what I think he has told them. Uh, Roubaix, though, I think is I think he's expecting or, or hoping to race Roubaix. So, yeah, definitely. All right. Before we dive into the nerd nugget this week, the most boring race of the year is coming up. Let's talk about that first. Hold on. Before we say anything else, <laughs> we should talk about that real quick. We don't have to spend that okay. much time on it. Yeah, but I feel like there's a, a pretty a lot of opinions out there. A lot of people love San Remo and a lot of people really don't like San. Well, no, they don't like it. It's very polarizing. It's a polarizing race. And yeah. Abby, so was what you said, you're uh, wasn't sarcastic, right? Like that's how you, you you're not a big, big fan of San Remo. I, I like the last 15 minutes, Same. but I'm not a, yeah. I'm not about to sit around for seven hours. <laughs> I think that's I think that's the key. To enjoying San Remo. And I, I mean, this might this might not make a lot of people happy, but I think if you just go in saying like it's OK not to watch the first several hours, I think you'll enjoy it more. The, and I 
Yeah. The best San Remo ever was the year that Tom's was in the break and he gave me his Twitter password before the race started. So I was tweeting from his tweet Twitter about going back to the car for potatoes. That was the, that was the best San Remo that I've ever seen. Did people think it was actually Tom's? Yes, people did oh. actually think it was Tom's, <laughs> which is uh, just very upsetting. <laughs> like, I, like, I think that's pretty cool. The reminder yeah. story, the network provider I used to be with for my mobile phone offered uh like you could you could set up a text message to be delivered from your phone from your internet browser. Uh so we set up and the text messages to be sent to our DS from our phones during a race. Oh, that's amazing. And yes. <laughs> he didn't take particularly well to it. It was at the time that we had race radios, and yeah, he called us out on race radio. What the bleep are you doing with your phone in the race? <laughs> Yeah. Well, some people love this race. So for those people, we should we should probably we should probably do like a little bit of a preview. Of course, it's the the two final climbs where the race really picks up and the final climb, the Poggio, that is pretty famous. I think one thing we should mention first of all is just the weather can heavily influence just when it gets exciting because uh if you have a headwind on the Poggio, you know that that it might not even get exciting until the until the Via Roma for the sprint finish because uh, it just makes it so much harder for any attacks to actually get clear on the Poggio. Now we're far too far out to really have a reliable weather forecast just yet. Um, but for what it's worth, it is predicting like a side head wind with uh, pretty average conditions, dry, ten degrees Celsius. It's a little early, obviously, for the weather, uh, but. If the weather forecast of six day, five days ago, you know, five days out is accurate, uh, there are some pretty serious winds on the forecast. It does have, you know, there's there's sun and and decent temperature, um, but it's looking like a pretty serious wind, so that could that could play a role. And just because of the nature of the course, it will be mostly tailwind from Milan to San Remo on on the on the current forecast, which means that you need to tune in even earlier than you might otherwise predict. But because of the direction of the Poggio climb, it you know, it, it looks like they turn into, you know, slight headwind for the climb. So I, I guess what I'm trying to get to is that that sort of increases Caleb Ewan and the other sprinters' chances. Um so I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead here and I'm gonna shout Caleb Ewan. I'm gonna go I'm gonna jump the gun and and, and name my pick first before anybody else gets to pick him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you can always check ismolansanremoexcitingyet.com to um, know if you have to tune in or not to the racing. Dane, who's your pick? Uh, I, I'm I'm really torn. I ugh, I, I think you has got a great shot, but I'm going to pick Waffenart. I think the fact that Waffenart can win in a sprint, but he can also go solo or win out of a group of two or three makes it. Makes him. Yeah, I think there has to be a rule. If you're going to pick Wife Van Aert for the win, you have to pick yes, how yeah. he's going to win. <laughs> yeah. He's got a time trial. Uh, he's going to win the time trial. Uh, no, I think, I, think, uh, I think you're right that this does favor a sprint. But I, I don't know. I feel like a small group sprint is, is more likely than kind of the, some of the sprints that we were seeing five, six, seven years ago where you had a big group and, and a Kristoff or a Deccan Kolb would take it. I, I do still think the aggressive nature of the race and the fact that Tadej Pogacar is there uh, and, and other people who are going to try to mix things up on that, on the Chipresa, particularly the, the, the Poggio as well, I think, 
could drop a bunch of sprinters. We'll see. That's that is what makes it San Remo so entertaining for those last few minutes uh, is that uncertainty. And it is really, really, really entertaining for those last few minutes. I think many of us would agree that for Pogaccia to win, he he may well have to go for the you know the attack on the Cipressa or or even earlier than you know we've seen in recent years. And with that strong tailwind, if that does materialize, if ever there was a year Pogaccia could do that, it is it is this year. Yeah, I think I think the one thing we can all agree on as well is that we need an is Milan San Remo exciting yet app, which could send you a push notification. To tell you <laughs> is exciting. Tell you when to tune in. Yeah. The could check during the race. Complete... If they had their phones with them, like Tom's did that one year where he was tweeting. About potatoes. I, I'm i going to actually pick Pogacar because um, I don't know who else to pick, honestly. But I am also becoming quite a big fan of this kid. And I don't like picking people that I don't like. And if I look at the start list, I don't really know that many people. So it's not a personal pick at all. It's there's no bias involved. Anything else? Do we have anything else? Should we should we bring James in finally? Who? He's been so patient. Who? What a what a trooper. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. Nerd alert. It's time for nerd nugget. It is time for nerd nugget. Finally, my moment my moment to shine. Um, we I feel like we always uh, get comments or criticism that sort of thing from. Uh, from listeners and readers who say that we don't cover enough entry level stuff, uh, and that I, I I know we've said this before, it's not for lack of trying because uh, we certainly have been trying to get a whole bunch of test bikes in from a bunch of various companies, and the answers over the last honestly probably couple of years has basically just been we don't have any. Sorry, uh, like there was one not too long ago. I made a request to uh, I uh, I can't remember which brand it was, but it was one of the big ones, and they basically told us that they were not going to be able to provide. Uh, a model in that price range until 2024, um, which is not next year, but the year after that. Um, so anyway, I Why is that uh, because basically all the bikes are allocated and they don't uh, allocate it to dealers uh, and supposedly anyway, and essentially they don't really feel like they have to do any sort of marketing right now because people are buying everything they can find anyway. So they don't really care. Um, whether or not we cover it. Um, that said, I got an email the other day from uh, French online retailer, Deca- or I shouldn't say online, but French retailer Decathlon, who has been trying to make uh, inroads into the US, um, saying that they have uh, entry-level road bikes available to review. And I responded right away. And I'm happy to say that I got a shipping confirmation that a bike is actually on its way over here. So it is not only sub $1,000, it is $800, US, which is pretty inexpensive. It is pretty heavy, as you'd expect. It's a disc brake road bike, so it's like 25 pounds or uh, what is that, like uh, 11 and a half kilos or something like that. It has integrated shift brake levers. Uh, it's 2 by 8 drivetrain, nothing super special. It's pretty you know, conventional aluminum frame, really nothing nothing crazy, but it kind of has everything that you sort of want, at least what I think a lot of uh, people who might be interested in getting into road riding will be looking for. And it's very inexpensive. It's like they, I had to kind of dig a little bit for the geometry, just a little, um, but they're basically just size it by, by rider height. Uh, they make it very simple. It's very clearly uh, aimed at uh, more entry level riders, but I'm kind of excited to ride this thing, actually. And it should be here on Wednesday, I believe. So hopefully I'll get that going sooner than later, depending on how the weather goes. Is this a Van, Van Rysel then? 
That's Decathlon's brand, isn't it? No, it's a it's a triban. So I don't really know exactly how they how they uh, how they pronounce that. Is it triban? Triban? I don't I don't know. Not really sure. But either way, it's quite inexpensive. Yeah. So kind of excited to report that. So hopefully, hopefully, like 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 I said, hopefully I can get that going sooner than later. And uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to see how this thing is. And I I think it's also pretty telling how they how they sort of. Uh, position some of the images that they put uh on the site for this bike uh like one of the one of the riders is in running shoes and flat pedals um like you know they're in riding clothes but it's not like super like racy stuff um people are like smiling which is also kind of unusual sometimes um but yeah should be should be cool to see how this thing goes i'm excited people smiling while riding bikes that's not i know it's so weird so weird it, it could be the pogaccia grimace where is he smiling? Is he grimacing? <laughs> we were talking before we started recording about um, endurance bikes and comfort versus aerodynamics. Um, so it seems fitting that that's the nerd nugget for today because uh, you'd, yeah, you'd assume that with the target demographic for a bike like this, it would be more about enjoying the ride and less about how fast you can get somewhere exactly i mean it, it's it's designed to be sort of a i guess for lack of a better term a gateway drug right like it's just sort of a, a way for people to kind of just test the waters and see if they like riding on the road and then if they want to upgrade later they can uh or just keep riding this thing ad infinitum who knows if they do like it then they can start doing things like everesting and then they'll stop smiling so it, it's it's down the road they'll get to that point Everything is clearly just a surefire way to just kill the joy out of road riding, wouldn't you say, Ronan? <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have been told there is fun ways to do it. I just haven't experienced them. Uh, what would those ways be, Ronan? Yeah. And on a just like Everesting, maybe? In, on the um, Urban Arrow. That would be here, fun. Don't shoot the messenger. I was just, you know, I was I was having a conversation where I was told, you know, you can do it slower and it is funner. Um, but then it also takes longer. Yes, that was my thought. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. You can suffer a lot or you can suffer for longer. Take your pick. If somebody were to be interested in this bike and um, kind of use it as a gateway bike, is there ways to upgrade it? If oh yeah, I mean they it, it, start to get kind of into the totally. I mean it it it's it it all uses pretty standard stuff from what I can tell. There's nothing proprietary on it. Um, you know you can upgrade wheels and tires and components as much as you want. I mean the frame will always still be kind of heavy. Um, but I'm I'm going to look into some low cost upgrades for this thing as well, just to see sort of uh just to kind of talk a little bit about like sort of like bang for the buck sort of upgrades that you can do at this sort of entry level thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think for the most part, I, I think the majority of people are going to ride this bike and just, just ride it as is, you know, they might just put a couple of little accessories on it, like, you know, bottle cages and that sort of thing. Um, I don't anticipate that a lot of people are going to buy this thing and then kind of upgrade the heck out of it, but hard to say. I mean, that's exactly what I did back in the day when I first got into road riding with my $300 Schwinn in what the early nineties, late eighties or whatever it was. Uh, and that bike only cost me $300 US at the time. And I can guarantee you that I spent well, well more than that on upgrading various things on it. So who knows? I think the key is to, uh, to, you know, buy the bike, see if you like it and then kind of upgrade slowly. So if you can, if you have those options to, to slowly improve the 
functionality of the bike as you um, test your limits, I guess. That's, yeah. Totally. That's I mean, ideal situation. There, there is very obviously room to grow with this thing, but it's a, again, low barrier to entry. Um, it looks like they have more or less covered all the bases, all the really important stuff. Um, you know, it's got pretty, pretty good gearing, uh, pretty, pretty accommodating geometry. It looks very kind of like neutral-ish. Um, you know, they put decent width tires on it. Um, yeah, I think it'll be, I think it'll be good. We'll see. Is this, I'm, ju I'm just looking out here now, is it the Triban RC500? No, or? it's the RC120. RC120? Hmm. I wonder, is it the same frame? Uh, because I'd gone a long way down the RC500 rabbit hole there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's about too far to get back. To, oh, yes, I see the 120 now. Uh, yeah, that is, um, you know, obviously there's inflation to account for in that, but roughly the same price in sterling as what my first bike i was gonna say cost me cost my dad um and i would safely say it looks like a lot better bike than than my first bike was way back in the day um the only thing that immediately and as you said james the geometry seems pretty hard to find it i did manage to find the geometry for the 500 there but again it's sort of it's one of those where it's very high and short you know, it's not, if I think back to when I was buying my first road back 20 years ago or so, it was, you know, more in line with the racing geometries that we see now. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Like the, the geometry table is kind of buried in one of the photos and it is a little bit shorter in terms of the reach, but not very much. So the size that I chose has a 376 millimeter reach, whereas I would normally go with like a, you know, high 380s, 390, something like that. And then the stack is 555, which again is a little bit taller than what I would normally run. Uh, I usually try and top out at like 540, but it's not bad. And again, for someone who's just getting into riding, these numbers seem pretty good. Um, you know, the, the handling is clearly pretty, uh, clearly, uh, clearly a little bit more relaxed, uh, which is kind of what you would want on a bike like this. There's a uh, fairly, fairly, uh, uh, fairly sharp slope, so there's a lot of standover clearance. Like, they just seemingly did a good job of making it uh, kind of more um, new rider friendly. So we will see. I I might I might even ride it with the with the uh, the stock plastic pedals. I feel like you have to at least take it around the block. Oh yeah, with the plastic pedals for sure, for sure. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Cycling Toast podcast. We will be back next week to discuss whether or not Milan San Remo was exciting. And uh, probably Trofe Alfredo Binda, because there's a women's race going on on Sunday that we didn't talk about that you should definitely tune in for because it's one of the best races on the calendar. So thank you. Have a great week. See ya.